on the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello and welcome to Talking Catholic. This is Talking Catholic co-host Mary McCusker, and I'm here with the other host, Mike Walsh. And we are here in the vault today. I like that I'm the other host. Just just well, the other random host. Just a guy sitting around. I'm sorry. What should I have called you? I don't know. <laughs> I just never heard anyone introduced like that before. I like the it. Though. That's good. The other guy. <laughs> the other the guy. The less fun co-host. <laughs> yes. That is accurate. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Hey, this is actually our our last episode was uh, or earlier. Actually, you know what? I don't know what episode this is because we're, we're recording this one early. But this is our the first episode uh, recorded in the vault of the new year. I'm very happy about That's it. That's right. Yeah. Your favorite place on earth, back yeah. in the vault. Not. It's been um, three years that this podcast has been going, and my fear of this vault has not um, <laughs> gone away yeah, and you at the, all. In fact, it's gotten worse. And I work very hard to make sure that the vault door never closes completely, and you had to step out for a second before we started recording, and who closed the, do- the vault door? You. Okay, I really wish our listeners could actually be here and have a solid visual of what this room looks like and what the door sounds like when it closed. This room used to be a what, a, a banking? Well, no, this was this uh, was a records vault used by the original Camden Catholic High School in Camden, New Jersey, uh, which burned down in 19, oh. partially burned down in 1966, and then they moved up the road a little bit um, into Cherry Hill, all of maybe not even a nine minute drive from here. But um, well, no, I wish our listeners could could see where I'm coming no, from I'll, on this one. Just, I think most would agree with we'll me. We'll describe it right now. It is a weird. No a, one wants to hear about the boring, scary no, vault, Mike. Well, people, have, <laughs> uh, people often ask questions about the boring, scary vault, and it is a cinder block oh, uh, room, cold and uninviting, with a big greenish gray metal door on the front of it and a cage door next to it. And uh, it's small. There are no windows. The door is really, really heavy and mm. difficult to open and close and uh so i can't imagine why you would find that yeah, nerve-wracking at right. all <laughs> no clocks it's like That's, it's like I, a not fun casino you lose all <laughs> sense of time and space and everything it's a yeah, we used to have a clock in here but it made noise so i took it out oh i know it's well, the worst one but, day we'll have a, a, a visual podcast of, <laughs> of what this looks like so people don't think we're insane. We did. We actually, we did do that once. We had, there is one um, YouTube video, or I don't know if we did put it up on YouTube, but there is one uh, video that we shot for Facebook um, that took place in the vault. Just, it was a, it was sort of a... Uh, you couldn't have found a prettier backdrop than, well, was, than this place. I, I had very <laughs> I had very attractive guests on that day, so All I was right. like, oh, I'll, I'll videotape them instead. It was uh, Marinella Nunez, who is one of our yep. co-hosts of the uh, Compartiendo to Don, Jose Gonzalez, who's the other co-host, and one of their uh, friends and someone who's been on the show a few times, uh, Claudia Trani Melgar. And uh, we shot, we threw my little tiny Mevo camera up in the corner, and which is also what domestic church media uses to shoot some of their video. And we shot an entire hour in here. And when I was done with it, I realized there were five people in the room. Three people looked great. Two people looked like me and Pete, my co-host at the time. And I was like, I don't need to do that again. So, so we're you were actually in the video. You weren't just recording it. Yeah. 
Did, oh. I, did I say Jose Gonzalez? I meant to say Jose yes, Rodriguez. Yes, you did. And I didn't I know if I t- should step in and correct you on that. No, you should because <laughs> I am absolutely wrong. And I, I've done that to him a couple of times where I butcher his last name. So Jose I apologize, Lito. Jose. You Jose can Lito. call him that too. <laughs> I don't call him Jose Lito. For me, he's just plain old Jose. But he's a really great guy. Anyway, so sure we shot, is. we did shoot one video on here and it, it was it looked like you were shooting a bank vault. And uh, regardless of how attractive our uh, our guests and coasts were. So I was like, you know what? We don't need to do that Yeah, again. with the ladies in there, that's... Yeah. Oh, and they're fantastic. I mean, that was actually a really fun uh, episode. If uh, you have a chance, go into our Facebook page. It's a uh, you can find it in the videos section. It was a lot of fun. That was a good day. It was nice. But we'll never do it again. I was about to say, I really hope I never have to. No, I will if anyone never. sees me on camera in this vault, I'm. Uh, I usually sweat a lot and you know start shaking <laughs> eventually. Not and true at all. yeah, no, it is. You're but luckily, our guest here is a very soothing presence. He and is. <laughs> he is. And his first return in three years. He was our eighth guest ever. This is yeah. now our 150. This is actually. Oh my goodness! I just realized this is our 158th episode. So we had to wait 150. Uh, episodes to bring you back as a lone guest. We had you on one other time as part of a, a group chat that we did. But uh, yeah, we're, we got Rod Herrera with us, the delightful and, and wonderful and fantastic Rod Herrera. Oh, I thought I was Jose Rodriguez. Oh, no, I hate Jose was... Gonzalez. <laughs> I got your name right. You that's, did. that's the difference. Herrera Rodriguez Gonzalez. <laughs> very difficult to put you your last name. And as I told Rod, um, the first thing I did when I woke up this morning, because I forgot to do it yesterday, um, Mike said I would be the co-host for this podcast. He said, you know, Rod was interviewed. He was one of the first people on the Talking Catholic co-host. So go back and listen to, mm-hmm. or on the Talking Catholic podcast. So go back and listen to the one he did. No, actually don't do that. I li- went back and listened to it today. I was t- talking to Rod about this while you were out of the room. Um, I listened to it as well and I was like, oh man, the sound quality is horrific. Like, I did notice that. Yeah, it was before we figured out what we were doing. My point is no. that I, I, that was how I started my morning and I thought, wow, you know, I pass by Rod all the time on this floor. It's usually leaving your office, so mm-hmm. I'm probably stressed or mad about something. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I didn't even know like the half of, of what you do, Rod. So it was a very educational podcast, and it got me really excited for this one. Well, so okay. welcome. Rod, thank <laughs> what you. What do you do, since what we didn't actually I introduce do? you by your title? Yeah. <laughs> so I am the director of the Office of Child and Youth Protection for the Diocese of Camden. Um, since 2002, every diocese in the country has somebody like me in that kind of an office and uh, throughout the country some of the offices are called safe environment Um, I think most of them are called um, child and youth protection so it's my responsibility to make sure that every adult who interacts with children on a regular basis in this diocese whether as an employee or as a volunteer is background checked and, and cleared and that they go through safe environment training um, we do the background checks every three years on everybody, and um, we do the training every five years. So I'm responsible for all the parishes, all the schools, um, retreat houses, any other uh, youth-serving uh, entity that's out there. That's a lot. I know at Catholic Charities, the volunteers who come in and all of our staff, we've all undergone that that training and I remember saying at first, why do I have to do it? I'm in marketing communications, but there are children and youth everywhere in the building. So right. I can see why why it's important. Yeah. Right. And I know we'll get into a little bit more of the details, but when we start talking about the training program that we do have, 
a lot of people come up and say, you know, this is such a good program that we ought to have every parent attend this program because there's a yeah. lot of relevance Relevancy? There's a lot of relevance. Relevance. Did I just make up a word? Let's make it a word. We'll make it a word. (laughs) Um, That affects parents. Um, Even if they're not volunteers at the parish, if they're not catechists or CCD teachers, um, there's just so much about the training program that every parent should should hear and should know about. And, you know, this is... I often wonder how people react when they hear about this the, this program and the programs but particularly the the child protection child and youth protection and you know a lot of it came out of the the the, the sex abuse the clergy sex abuse scandals of um the late 1990s and early 2000s that have, have go back generations unfortunately and, and with great sadness i say that um it's something that I've been focused on in my job and marketing communications, obviously, for a long time. It's something that the, the diocese have been struggling with um, for decades now, uh, since it's all come to light um, with the Boston scandals in, in 2002. Um, but it's, I think it's important to know this is, an, this is an area where the Catholic Church just, there is no messing around with it anymore. Mm-hmm. There is no trying to be cute with it. There is no, there is nothing. There is, it is you get this training or you don't work or volunteer in a parish school or ministry. Um, and if you are a, a well, we'll get to, and actually, I want to ask a question. I want to ask you down the line, but the this is not something that your office, Rod, has been praised repeatedly by Bishop Dennis Sullivan in, in our diocese uh, for doing such a great job of making sure that that the diocese um, follows the mandates that came out of the 2002 charter um, after the scandals first became so public. Um, actually, can you talk about the charter a little bit, just sort of the history a little bit? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, so 2002, January 2002 was when the scandal um, broke out from Boston. Uh, the Boston Globe uh, covered the story. And there's a, an absolutely uh, incredible movie um, called Spotlight, uh, which I heartily recommend. It, it does talk about the abuse that happened in Baltimore and in, in Boston. As a result of that, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops decided to create a document called the Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People. And within that charter, which was ratified by all the bishops um, by the um, June meeting that year in Dallas, um, in that charter are various articles that uh, deal with the protection of children. Um, two of the articles are would guide my office. So Article 12 and Article 13. And one of those articles talks about how every adult um, in contact with children and every clergy, so all priests and all deacons, regardless of whether or not they have contact with children, will all be background checked. Mm-hmm. Um, the charter doesn't talk about how the background check happens because that happens different in every state. There are state rules and laws that that can that tells us how we can background check like some states don't do fingerprinting um, a lot of states do um, and then the other article talks about safe environment training so and again it doesn't point to a specific program because there are many programs out there that different dioceses use um, but every adult has to be trained in the area of recognizing child abuse and specifically child sex abuse and it also talks about how every child 
So every every um, child in the schools, every child in the catechetical programs in the parishes, all the children of youth ministry programs, they all have to go through some kind of a safe environment training program. And then there are other articles. So for example, there's an article that specifically addresses the fact that no priest who has been credibly accused of sexual abuse will be moved to another location. Mm -hmm. Because as, as we all know, unfortunately, that was happening. Um, before the charter happened, a priest would be accused of sex abuse, um, may or may not have been sent away for psychological evaluation, would then be deemed healthy and suitable to return to ministry, um, and then would, re- would go to another parish. Mm-hmm. The thinking being that perhaps father learned his lesson and won't abuse again. Um, so there's an article that specifically addresses that, that that will never happen again, that when a priest is credibly accused or a deacon, uh, he will be removed from ministry immediately. Um, and if the accusation turns out to be credible, um, he will be removed from ministry permanently. Yeah. This is certainly something that I think a lot of Catholics have certainly seen in the press uh, with some regularity. The um each of the dioceses have been doing uh, yeoman's work and making sure that the the priests in their in their area and um, uh, have met all of their you know have, have been background checked. Everything's gone through their their records are clean. But the truth of the matter is, in dioceses across the United States, as these things happen, we are finding, and many of them, uh, that there are priests in their midst that, that do need this happened in Philadelphia, I think within a month recently, where um, a, back, a, a background check of, of the files revealed that there had been um, previously unknown issues, and that priest was removed by the by the policies in line. You know, I th- and I think a lot of uh, Catholics, you know, there I do think that there has been a burnout a little bit for some Catholics um, who've heard this story a lot and like, okay, we, we know sex abuse happened in the past um, and and the Catholic Church is doing what it can. It's, it's time for us to move on. And there's a, I, there's a truth to that. And I think it's hard for people to listen to. And I do hope that people will listen to this podcast because it's good for you to be informed about everything the Catholic Church is is doing to protect youth and young adults. Um, you know, in New Jersey, uh, we've been running, or in, in the Diocese of Camden, we have been running something called cap training for decades. I've been cap trained three different, two different times, uh, and now, and then we recently migrated to the Virtus training program, and I went through that uh, very early on when it was done, mostly because I was curious to see what it was like, and uh, I, it's. You know, it's like anything else you deal with related to sex abuse. It's there's a diff, there's a level of difficulty to it, but it's incredibly informative. Um, you know, there are stories that that are really quite bracing that yeah. you hear. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about what the virtues training is like? Yeah. Uh, so Bishop Dennis Sullivan, who came to us from the Archdiocese of New York, was familiar with virtues protecting God's children. Uh, because that's the program that the Archdiocese of New York uses. Um, And when he came here, uh, he saw that we were using a program called CAP, um, which he was fine with, uh, and it's an excellent, excellent program. Um, It was a 90-minute program that covered uh, not only just awareness of child sex abuse, but it talked about bullying, it talked about internet um, safety. The Virtus Protecting God's Children program is different in that, well, first of all, it's three hours long, uh, which is one of the the biggest complaints of people when they, they hear realize that they have to be there for three hours. 
Um, however, the three hours go by really very quickly. As someone who sat through it, I agree completely. Yeah. I, I actually was amazed at how, because it was it's so informative, and the facilitator, facilitator I happened to have was outstanding, who happened to be Rod at the time. <laughs> oh, there, my gosh. There, there are a couple yeah. of facilitators. It was I. But it was it was really great. It was really engaging. Um, there is back and forth. There's a lot It's it's there's a lot of video as a part of it, so you're, you're watching these stories, um, th- which actually the video component itself is is pretty amazing. You hear, you hear, you hear directly from abusers uh, in, in their videotaped testimony. I guess is one way mm-hmm. of saying it. Um, as to you know why they did what they did and how they did what they did. Why you know for years, and I think we talked about this in the first episode. You know the great. We were always taught, you know, stranger danger, and now we've come to realize that it's it's. Yeah. I mean, there are strangers out there, and you should we should be nervous about that. But in this in this kind of abuse, that's not typically what it is, is it, Rod? Right. I go, I go out of my way to make that perfectly clear that whoever coined the terminology "stranger danger" mm-hmm. was wrong then, and I always say is wronger even now. The statistics will show that eleven percent of the time, it, a sexual abuse of a child is committed by a stranger, but that means that eighty nine percent of the time, sexual abuse of a child happens by somebody that the child knows and that the family knows, and of that eighty nine percent, a third happens within the biological family. So, wow. one of the things that I do say is, although this was horrible, what happened in the Catholic Church. This is not a Catholic Church problem. This is a societal problem. This is a problem that happens in the public schools. It happens in the Boy Scouts. It happens in YMCA's. It happens. It happens. Um, so what this program does is it teaches people to recognize the signs of a child who, who is or has been sexually abused and also teaches us the warning signs of a potential predator. So because the, all the molesters kind of fit a, a pattern of the kinds of behaviors that they do, uh, we're able to recognize some of those um, inappropriate behaviors. And then it teaches people what to do once they have a suspicion. Mm-hmm. So that's the, 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 the value of the program is, as you said, Mike, you get to see videos of molesters talking about how easy it was for them to groom a child. Oof. You also get, you also see five um, survivors of child sex abuse and they talk about how the abuse has affected them, how it happened, how nobody listened to them, how it could have been prevented had people been aware of the warning signs. Um, and it's adult interaction. So it's not a lecture. Um, the videos are each about half an hour long. So that means that leaves two hours for discussion. The facilitator Uh, And I've trained about, I want to say about 22, 23 facilitators. Um, The facilitator asks a lot of questions and tries to get the participants in the workshop to give the answers. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then the facilitator steps in and says, how about this? We didn't talk about this. So it is a lot of back and forth adult style learning that takes place. Is there any, like, I mean, as hard as it must be to, to sit through and hear some of those things, I mean, I really can't think of a more important three hours that anyone can have Catholic or even just, um, like one of you said before parents, um, anyone interacting with young kids. I mean, that's a really important three hours (laughs) to, to take with you. I mean, it's, it's genuinely fascinating. It is. I remember my training and I remember kind of rolling my eyes like, okay, so I mean, I hate to say I was this ignorant, but 
they're probably just going to say stuff like, you know, if there are bruises on the arm, you know, basic things like it was so much more than that. Things that I would have never in a million years thought of. And it's it's really stuck with me. Um, And it was interesting and engaging. And, you know. That's just so important. It, it really is. I mean, I'm not telling everyone should, you know, go on a Saturday night, go out to Virtue Stranding, you know, as opposed <laughs> to going to the movies or something like that. Yeah. But I, I, if you are requested or if you want to volunteer at your school and they tell you, you know, well, you need to be, you need to be child protection trained, man, don't stop. I mean, do it. First of all, you want to be an active part of the community and, and not taking part in this kind of training will prevent you from doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, or, or else, I don't in the diocese it will prevent you to do it if you're somewhere else in the country it better be preventing you to mm-hmm. from, from doing it um but i was the same way i was like you know the first time i did it i was like oh, come on really do i have to do this mm-hmm. and then the second time i was like now and that's part of the thing is that you you need to be re-upped if you're if you're a regular contact and you're regularly part of it you you need to be re-upped what is the what is the schedule for being re-upped the the, the policy of the diocese is that everybody is trained every five years so when you when you look at it that way, to ask somebody to set aside three hours every five years, mm-hmm. it, it it really is That's nothing. nothing. Yeah. It really isn't. And the focus has changed from when we first started this. My office started in October of two thousand and four, and at that time, people were still really angry about what was going on in the church, and so people were complaining that. Why do I have to get fingerprinted? Why do I have to go to this training when this is all because of those priests? Yeah, right. Um, and, and the focus has shifted from that to it's not about the priests. It's about the children. Mm-hmm. It's about right. what can we do to keep our children, to keep God's children safe and protected. And what do we do? We learn about child sex abuse. We learn about the signs. We learn about how to talk to our children. We learn about how to keep them safe on the Internet. We learn about how to stop bullying. So it's all about protecting children. It's interesting what you said about how, you know, this the nature of this kind of evolves over time, especially with Internet and social media. I mean, I this is an anecdote from a few months ago, but I was sitting with um, a couple girls. One was in middle school, the other in high school. Um, this was during a rehearsal dinner for a wedding. I figured, you know, I'll see what the kids are up to these days because they were both just glued to their phones. Yeah. And um, I kind of, you know, tried to strike up a conversation with them. And the one girl was on Instagram and neither of them were looking up from their phones at all. Um, and I said, you know, so, so what are you up to? I'm on Instagram. She said, um, I'm about to block this guy. He keeps messaging me just very nonchalantly. So I kind of said, oh, you know, what? what is this person saying? Um, and she said in the most nonchalant, she didn't even look up from her phone. And she told me what the message was. And it was very, very disturbing. Um, wow. It was a very predatory type of situation. I said, uh, "Does this? do you get messages like this a lot? And she said, yeah. Uh, still didn't look up from her phone. I said, have you talked to your parents about this? She looked up from her phone and said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want them to take away my phone. I can't, I can't have that happen. And I felt like I got hit over the head by like a two by four. To like, we are not in Kansas anymore. You know, times have changed. And like you said, like nine times out of 10, it is somebody 
who the person knows, but I imagine with internet and social media, things have evolved in a kind of a scary way. <laughs> so I can see why it's important to to keep, you know, these trainings going every every five years a lot can happen in in that span right right and and i know that one of the the um, biggest challenges uh since we rolled out virtues protecting god's children uh two years ago um are the public school teachers who um are volunteers in the parish like they're the ccd teacher catechist teachers um and they have to now also attend uh, virtues protecting god's children even though most public school teachers or employees get some type of training, some of them every year. So I've had a fair number of uh, public school teachers come up to me at the end of the session to say, this is such a good program. I did not want to be here first because I've already been trained through my public school, but this program is really, really good. So I, I would really like all the public school teachers uh, out there to know, first of all, thank you for being catechists in our uh, parishes uh, because we really couldn't do it without you and without your expertise and without your uh, willingness to volunteer and to to teach our children. So thank you for that. But also, um, when you are told by your catechetical leader that you have to go to Virtus Protecting God's Children, uh, you'll you'll really enjoy this session. It's yeah. a good program. And oh, go ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it, it is you know it is important and it is good and there are a lot of levels to it. So it isn't just as I as I recall it is it broken up into five parts. I, for some reason, the number five. The number five should stand out, Michael, because you were taught um, in this session. So there is a plan right. to protect our children. And that five-step plan, I'm not going to go into detail because I want people to go to the session. Of course. You know, go to the, the three-hour session and not just a five-minute summary yeah. by Rod Herrera. But <laughs> the five-step plan begins with know the warning signs. Mm-hmm. So what are the behaviors that um, are that are inappropriate, that could be a, a person grooming a child, and like a couple of those behaviors. One of them is the person prefers to spend more time with children than with adults. Um, they tend to freeze the other adults out, and they just want to be with the child. Uh, another warning sign is they give inappropriate gifts. So within the video, you'll see two examples of that, and one of those examples is an adult grooming a, a minor, a girl, by giving her a necklace, uh, a very inappropriate gift from a stranger, mm-hmm. um, although he's not a stranger because the family knows who he is. Right, right. Um, so he gives a gift to a child, and it's inappropriate to give, like, a, it was a beautiful necklace, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the fu- that's the first step of the five step plan, and then can I also add that Absolutely. just recently we retrained all the priests and all the deacons. Actually, I wanted to get to that because okay. that was that's something that I particularly appreciate about it. Because I went to a couple of the clergy sessions, um, and. I okay. I tried to go to a couple. <laughs> Ron is saying, "Wait, you weren't in a couple because he went ran." To one. I went to one. I, 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 I was wow. at all of them. Well, no, that's because I know. no, it's because I, 
Well, I admit, you're right. That's absolutely. Because okay. right. I had hoped to go to you, two, you and did. I ended up having to send somebody else in my place. You did. Uh, but then that <clears throat> to take some photographs just so that you know we wanted to promote the fact that our clergy were being trained. Uh, but then the photos came back, and they were so terrible that I was like, you know what? I'll go. And so I went oh, and took some geez. photos. Um, but no, but actually, that was something that, that A, I was very proud of in terms of our clergy that they went. Um, more Even more so that uh, Bishop, I th- our Bishop, Bishop Dunn Sullivan, I think was at... If not the first one or one of the first ones he, that were he done. He was at one of them. It wasn't the first one, but he was one that was close by to where he lives. Right, but he right, was right. there. I went to all of those sessions. I did not facilitate all of them. I had some of my other facilitators do some of the sessions, but I was there. Uh, I just felt it was important for me to be there because of my office and because of my uh, relationship with the clergy. But um, yes, all the priests were there. Uh, all the deacons went even the priests and deacons who are retired. So I facilitated a session at Sacred Heart Residence in Cherry Hill, which is the home for our retired priests. And um, they, were all, they were all there. And wow. I, I think from looking at their evaluations that um, they really um, got a lot out of it. You know, I, I, with any... With any kind of professional group, I think that, and I certainly throw the clergy into that. Um, I, you know, sometimes there might, there you might have a tendency to bristle, and certainly, like I used to do when I before I came to work for the diocese and had a better understanding of uh, uh, child and youth protection. Um, you might bristle, and and this might be something that you, I don't really don't want to go to this. Thing. Not that anybody ever wants to go to it, but I, I I'm going to fight the urge to the one that I attended. The thing that really impressed me while I was there was just ha- the level of engagement between you happen to be facilitating this one between you and the priests that were there yeah, uh, and the deacons that were yeah. there. I was really impressed by that. Um, you know, this is not something that, that at least in our diocese, anybody appears to me and I usually pick up on these things. Uh, anybody would seem to be giving short shrift. I didn't see anybody on their phones. I didn't mm-hmm. see anybody. And everybody was dedicated and including the one that I went to, uh, what, two years ago when we or a year ago when we rolled up two years ago at St. Mary's School in Williamstown yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what how long ago it was we rolled it out it was September of 2018 the, so and that was a huge crowd that I it was, was with it was a huge crowd that was a yeah. big turnout and I you know just because of who I am I was looking around and making sure everyone was focused and everybody was focused it's a, it's a that's re- a rare thing <laughs> it really is and it's and I hate to sort of I know we're kind it's, I feel like we're kind of I'm kind of conflating what this this presentation is like uh, almost tr- telling everyone it's this is a great presentation you should go check it and learn something but it actually is it has that component of being genuinely interesting and oh by the way this is also going to protect our kids not just our kids but you're going to know the warning signs to potentially confront or report someone that where you think there there might be an issue I mean you know the first thing we tell you know, we've since February of last year well the entire time I've been here, um, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time throughout the year um, promoting your office, uh, the 1-800 number that uh, people should call to report um, to report abuse if it occurs with any of our clergy um, and so forth. Um, since February of last year of 2019, when we released the 56 names of um, – uh, credibly accru- accused clergy in South Jersey, um, along with the announcement of the Independent Victims Compensation Program, which I should note, by the way, has been extended in New Jersey. Uh, the original deadline was the end of 2019. It's now been extended for uh, to register until January 31st of 
2020, uh, with all claims to be filed by February 15th of 2020. So that extends, if you are someone who has been uh, abused by a member of the New Jersey clergy, um, by all means, we hope you would go to the Independent Victims Compensation Program uh, to, uh, to, you know, uh, file a claim. But uh, uh, I actually completely lost my train of thought just now. What was I about to ask you before I delved into the IVCP? Oh, I think I was going to say about, you know, this is something we really promote a lot. Um, and it's it's the kind of thing that I know that sometimes it'll fall on deaf ears. Sometimes, um, you know, there might be a burnout to it. But this is not something that's, A, as we've seen over the last 20 years, this is not a subject that's going to go away. A. B, it, like you said earlier, it is not confined to the Catholic Church. And C, you, by doing this, these training classes, you're really just bettering yourself and you are, protecting your kids. You are. And, and also what needs to be said is how prevalent child sex abuse is. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this during this, during this session. Um, statistics will show that about 20% of all women were abused before the age of 18 sexually. And, and about 10% of all men so it is, it is horrifying, and one of the things that we know about those statistics is that they're, they're probably underreported. Uh, yeah. So it's more than likely about 25% of all women have been abused sexually when they were a child, and maybe anywhere between 6 and 7% um, of all men, uh, excuse me, closer to 10% of all men. Mm-hmm. Men especially underreport more than, than women do. And the sensitivity has to be there with our facilitators that that means that within the participants, there are going to be victims of child sex abuse who are there. Uh, And sometimes they share. Uh, And sometimes it's very um, emotional for them and they're not able to stay. They get up, they walk out uh, because it's just too much uh, for them. What was really important to note too is that when I did these sessions for the priests, that I wanted them to be aware of those statistics because they need to know that in their, within their congregations, when, when they're preaching a sermon, when they're interacting with their parishioners, there is a high number of people, men and women, who have been abused sexually when they were children. Yeah. It makes you look at crowds of people very differently when you have those statistics in mind. It does, it does. And I will talk about that in the session about how I don't want, at the end of the session, everybody to believe they're thinking that everybody's a molester because right. that would not be healthy for them and for everybody else. But to at least have, and, they're, and they should have, a healthy suspicion of everybody. Um, so I talk about, in these sessions, one of the other inappropriate behaviors is, is taking pictures. Mm. And one of the molesters on the videos talks about how he took hundreds of pictures and put them in a picture album. And these pictures were mostly of five to 10 year old girls, blonde hair, blue eyed girls. And he said the parents should have picked up on that. They should have noticed that there was something wrong with them taking all these pictures. So I tell all our, all our participants, the next time you're at an event and you see somebody you don't know taking pictures, by all means, go up to that person and say, hi, 
my name is so-and-so. Who are you and why are you taking pictures? That means you, Mike, yeah. well, and whoa. me for that and matter. I, and I do say As photographers, we do keep oh, that right. in mind. Yeah. Yeah. It I could be somebody from the Star Herald, um, but they're going to be walking around with, with an ID. I didn't mean to accuse you that, Mike. Sorry. I'm sorry, Rod. Because <laughs> so often we take pictures of large crowds yes. and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. people yeah. have come up to me and said, right. who, who are you? But you have your ID with you, I Yes, hope. and yeah. I make sure I show them my badge and right. nine times out of ten, it's, it's, it's fine, you know, but I don't blame people. Right. To, for being like she has a zoom lens yeah. there are kids you Healthy know suspicion right yeah. exactly I, and you know I, it's so funny you say that because i actually i as a guy it must be worse for you than I, for well me. a it's a guy b i look like a creeper to begin with so i i got <laughs> oh, a lot of checks working against me but um so my son does my son plays and all sorts of sporting events i will take and i'm a photographer so and i love mm. i love taking sports photos so i will take photos of his home games where Mostly everybody knows me, um, but I will not take photographs when it's an away game because you know I'm just going to look like some dude yeah. creeping on the kids. And quite frankly, it's not because I'm afraid of being accused. It's because I don't want to make the other parents uncomfortable right. because there's this guy there, and I don't want the kids to feel uncomfortable because there's this weird guy taking pictures. Um, and I I don't like that I live in a world like that, but I have to accept that that's a that's right. a reality. You know, you were. You were saying something about, um, you know, the the young girl who was looking at her phone and sort of being accosted via social media. Um, you know, that is something. I, I my son has now hit that stage. He got his he's eleven. He got his first phone uh, for his birthday, and it took a little while. He was mostly just playing games on it for the first six months. But in the last two months, he and all of his friends are on all the social media yeah. apps. And when I gave him the phone, I told him, I said, "Listen, this." Your, this is your phone, but it runs on my systems. Like it, I pay the Verizon bill, I do all that stuff. That's my phone, and I will go on to it any time to make sure that you're not doing something stupid. Yeah. Uh, but actually, the real reason I'm going on there is because I want to make sure he's not getting things. And and he and I have like talks about you know if you get a certain if you get uh, if you somebody you don't know contacts you and they ask you something uncomfortable or something you don't understand or whatever or a link that you don't know what it goes to come to me mm -hmm. don't open it up come to me let's have a conversation um and meanwhile you're probably treading around the f the fear that's what i got from this girl that her yeah. phone would be confiscated well, so I, that probably adds a whole new layer I, of because i know that because of the trainings i've yeah. got actually that's something that comes up in the virtues training as Is i recall it? Um, I, I do not threaten to take away yeah. his phone if something goes wrong because I want him to feel comfortable to come to me mm -hmm. if there is an incident of some kind. Now, thank God, so far, there doesn't seem to have been any, any incidents, but as he gets older, I, I know that may happen. And the, the flip side of it is, I also want to make sure, he, now, it, this is, in addition to sexual abuse, bullying is always an issue as well. Yeah. As a young boy um, I do worry about him not only being bullied but I also worry about the possibility that he could be the bully so I want to make sure that I'm that's keeping so it refreshing to hear somebody say that well <laughs> I feel like it's always the one-sided I want to make sure my kid isn't being bullied but never the other way around no, I think it's important I think I think you know parenting I is, think he's an angel I've met I've met your son but you know just right. keeping that in the back of your mind you never know and it, it, just staying on top of that must be important yeah and I, and I think you know 
if we looked at a lot of the what we learned in both cap training and virtus training the predecessor of virtus training um was a lot of making sure that uh, who ends up being victimized are people are were young kids particularly as part of the clergy sex abuse but i suspect this is this is across the board um were young children who didn't have a strong parental figure if not both parents and they were short one parent or something like that and they were but kind of cast into the world a little bit um, and they would find other you know parent finger uh, parent figures and that would be where these strangers would would show up mm-hmm. not strangers actually known entities would come up and, and become we're still abusers. so inclined to seize the word stranger yes. because it, you know why? like Rod you said so the rhythmic. stranger danger That's, but like we gotta get rid of that because it is somebody that they know right right but, but that phrase is still like kind of embedded in our yeah. minds because that's what we grew up hearing don't talk to strangers but and, and you know there's more to it than that well yeah <laughs> and just going back to the the part about you know the parenting stuff that's why it is so part important to be a, an active part of your kids lives i mean nobody sh- I, I wouldn't i'm not advocating everyone become a helicopter parent right. and i don't want you to smother your kids but, um, man, be aware. Be there, you know, try to, you know, it only takes a few minutes a night to check out their phone. And I'm not, and then not for snooping purposes. I'm not saying we, we, I need to know all my kids' secrets. There's all sorts of secrets I don't want to know. <laughs> I, 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 I now have uh, niece and nephews that are all uh, senior in, in, in high school and uh, in, in college. And I've gotten to the point now that I realize, because I'm a good judge of people, and um and I'll be chatting with them and I'm like, there's more to this story, but they're not gonna tell me and yeah. I'm not gonna ask and I don't wanna know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm just hoping that, you know, with my nieces and nephews that their parents and myself and the rest of the family have have trained them well enough that they will make good decisions yeah. as they are older. Because they, they're not there are things that are they're not gonna share. But it's also good that, you know, we're all reminding our kids of what a good decision is versus what a bad decision is. And, right. And, and, and kids are going to learn through failure and difficulty, but it's parenting is so much fun, Rod. It is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what that's like. I'm sure. No, your parents, I'm sure, thought you were an angel, Mary, the entire time. Well, I, a friend who's very, um, very close to me, um, one of my male friends, he was abused sexually when he was a child, and I was the first person he ever told. Um, and hearing that was just flooring because I know his parents, and they're you know they're vigilant, they're smart, they're intelligent. But um, he grew up in an area where it was very um, normal to kind of people leave their doors unlocked, and you know it's not it's kind of like a communal. Um, effort you know the kids play together and you know this was back in the early 90s um but you know it's not weird for a neighbor to come into to your house and check on you know the kids it's just that's the kind of area and that was the mentality and i mean it's just if if those warning signs though if i feel like things would have been different if people had an opportunity to go through this training and recognize even the subtle warning signs i can't help but think wow things would have turned out so much differently for him, yeah. for him. you and know luckily I, he is I, I taught i said you need to talk to a professional right. because i am not one you know and he is actually doing a lot better since he sought help which he was very hesitant to do understandably you know but you know how how different things could have 
could have been. And one of the things that I talk about in the, in the sessions is that, that this is not about bad parenting. Right, right. You know, it's about uh, very careful manipulation on the, mm-hmm. on the part of the predator. Um, um, the grooming process can occur not just for the child, but also the parents are groomed. So the, the molester gains right. the parents' trust um, through a long, careful, long, drawn-out process called grooming. So, um, yeah, you're right. And, and if the parents can can all learn what the warning signs are, and then also the changes in behavior of their child if right. something is going on. Yeah. And then, Mike, as, as you said, yeah, parenting, our biggest challenge as parents is to, is to be connected with our kids and to let our kids know that we love them, that we care about them, and, hey, what's going on in your life? Yeah. You know, right. Share with me what's happening in your life. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's and sometimes it's difficult because our kids drive us insane and 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 in a beautiful loving way, but they drive us insane and I don't want to hear another story, but it, <laughs> but sometimes I have to force myself to and and I do it be, and I will admit that I do I, my I have learned from great predecessors of mine who are parents and people around me that I consider are very good parents and trainings like this. I also read a lot about, and I'm not saying I'm like a a self-help junkie or anything like that, like reading (laughs) books all the time. I never read books actually. (laughs) If it's a self-help. That's not something to brag about, Mike. Uh, Come on. No, no, I'm not bragging about it. It's a character flaw of mine. If if it's a self-help tweet, I probably read it, but if it's a self-help book, I probably haven't read it. Um, But these kind of trainings have educated me and I do, and, and not that I point fingers all the time, but I do look for red flags. You know, my son, he's in scouts, he's in, he plays all the sport, um, a lot of the sports, and I do notice what the coaches do. I do notice what the other parents are like, and I'm not saying that I'm fixated on like everybody's an abuser or something like that, but I am more conscious of it, and I think to, and, and I don't stop Jack from doing anything. It's like, my son's name is Jack. Um, you know, I want him to do all these things, but I'm going to, but I'm not just going to release him into the wild and then have faith that nothing will happen. Yeah. I have faith in many things. Humanity sometimes is not one of them. Yeah. yeah. Rod, this might be an odd question, but there was uh there was recently a Dave Chappelle skit where he was talking about um how his kids uh they have drills in the event of like an active shooter in the right. building and right. he said something like I was kind of half listening, why are we having um, you know, these sessions if there's a shooter who's a student and now they know what the drill is and you know where to go and what for what to look for and what the signs are of a shooter um isn't it kind of like educating them how to be more careful about it i just it kind of reminded me of this like i'm wondering it's it's so good that you know we're able to have these conversations more openly than in the past and that these trainings are you know taken much more seriously now but i don't know i guess my question is um since it is more commonplace to be be trained on this i do you think you're trying to say ask if does it sometimes teach predators how to be better i guess so if that that question does come up every now and then i know it's 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 because i know it's such a good thing but Mm -hmm. i i don't know i'm just curious (laughs) well i think the answer to that would be um it it doesn't necessarily teach the molester how to be a better molester yeah but it certainly lets the molester know that that he or she is now they're on notice yeah that other people are going to be aware of their behavior and it's going to make it more difficult for them to be able to groom a child yeah well, that's definitely good. And, you know, if I guess maybe if there's any way to look at it, if that actually is a legitimate concern by other 
parents and interested parties. The truth of the matter is, if, if that's the case, it just levels the playing field because the, the what it was everyone else being unaware that made it easy right, to, to right. be a predator back in the day. Right. And if it if this is making it more difficult for predators to be predators. And we and win. So be it. The more awareness, gonna, the better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, predators are going to, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but, you know, the, and I'm not, this is not an out in any way, shape or form to, to those who have been predators. But a lot of it is, you know, the, this, these are psychologically damaged people. This is a layman's way of saying it uh, for me. Rod would have a much more educated way of saying mm-hmm. it. But these are damaged people who oftentimes don't have the ability to stop themselves. Yeah. Um, this, there may be great thought put into it, but they, their inner demons come out yeah. and they listen to them and this is how it, how it happens. You know, it, And it's they're, unfortunate because a lot of them have been victimized themselves, right? right? Isn't there a recidivism type of yeah when when um i'm not the expert if anything i've said is like off base or inaccurate i'm sorry you can correct me no that's all right no (laughs) when molesters are interviewed um we find we have learned that about 80 percent of them were molested. oh my gosh 80 percent 80 percent but that does not mean that every child who is molested goes on to become a molester but yeah molesters 80 percent of them were molested themselves my goodness it's it's a and that's why it's important that for all the work that we do in the catholic church the Catholic Church, who has routinely now, now post two thousand and two, um, post the charter the, in New Jersey, the memorandum of, un, of understanding between the dioceses and the um, uh, the attorneys general's office and all the county prosecutors to turn over all information as soon as it's uh, uh, as soon as the diocese is notified of uh, a, of an abuse, uh, credible abuse incident. Um, or any incident, actually, um, that's up for the uh, the the law enforcement law enforcement now to decide if something's credible or not when something new comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's I completely lost my train of thought again. You no, know, we're that, just that, going that, off the rails you know, here's today. The thing is, there's so many layers of this story, I and I try to remember everything because because you know I've written about this stuff a lot. Certainly, Rod lives it a lot. Um, let, let me pick up on something you just said because it's really do. it's really important. It used to be in the church that when there was an allegation of abuse against a priest or a deacon, that the diocese would do the investigation. The diocese would look into it, and that was all across the country. That doesn't happen anymore. Now, when there's an allegation that comes out, our first phone call is to the police, mm. and we even encourage the person making the accusation call the police or the prosecutor or or law enforcement, anybody in law enforcement. Have them be the first to do the investigation. Have them be in charge, yeah. because it, we all know it just didn't work well right. when it was the Catholic Church investigating it. Right, and that's almost, and that's not, to, and that's an example of not a failing necessarily of the Catholic Church, although the Catholic Church failed terribly. That's oftentimes an organizational uh, problem, and that was an organizational problem for organizations across the country, or across oh, sure. the globe. Oh, sure. That you would you would do it. You you no one ever wants to bring in outsiders to to look into a situation. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, this is what I was going to say where I lost my train of thought, <laughs> is. Um, now, when people look at organizations who are doing the right things when it comes to to particularly when it comes to sex abuse, it's the Catholic Church that's held up to a to the great light of look at all the things the Catholic Church is now doing. This is the last place you ever want to do something wrong, and that's 
not to say something won't go wrong in the future in this diocese or diocese outside of the area, but this isn't. If something goes wrong now, sideways now, there was a great failure of in leadership and following policy because the policies are now. I mean, they are set in stone. There is no getting around them. If something happens. And I've been a part of these things. God, thank God we've never had an issue. But when anything even remotely, anything happens, um, if in one of our schools, if there's a threat, the first thing that happens is the police are called. Mm-hmm. There's none of this trying to take care of it ourselves. Right. It is It is we we check with somebody else first. We call the police. Yeah, that's um, and so it's, important. It really is. It's good because it's an independent person that comes in and is able to look into a situation. Rod, this... Uh this just, I, I wrote this down as something I wanted to ask you about, and I want to make sure I don't forget, but I know that last year there was a national conference. Oh, yes. And <laughs> I, um, I remember on the podcast I listened to this morning, you said, and actually next year it's coming to New Jersey. Right, so right. How, how did that oh, go? Was... And you were selected um, out of... All the all your counterparts in the country to to host this big gathering. How how was it? <laughs> I didn't necessarily. I was not selected. I volunteered. Oh, right. So we have an annual uh, <laughs> conference <a> <laughs> uh, for um, people in my office, directors of child and youth protection, as well as victims assistance coordinators, which we didn't talk about during the session. But every diocese also has a victims assistance mm-hmm. coordinator. So every year. All the dioceses are invited to an annual conference. And in 2019, uh, Camden was the host. Uh, it was at the um, Crown, I always say Crown, Crown Royal. Royal. It's Crown, Crown Plaza. <laughs> the Crown Plaza Hotel yes. in Cherry Hill. Um, and we had, to date, the most people ever come to a conference. Wow. So we had over 200 people come. Uh, well over 100 dioceses were uh, represented. So it was very successful. Um, our speakers were fantastic, and we got really, really high ratings on the, the conference. So it was, it was a That's, tremendous success. I feel like you get a lot of high ratings everywhere. The trainings, people have such good feedback about. Yeah. The, not the conference, I mean. I was in a meeting with Bishop Sullivan recently where Rod was not at the meeting, and, and he was just going on and on and on about the great work that Rod's office does. Uh, really? He sure. really does, yeah. yeah. Uh, protecting, nice to hear. Not just protecting our children, but quite frankly, in and this is there's a bit of vanity in this, but protecting the diocese, the, the reputation of the diocese by right. going out, going above, above and beyond, making sure that number one, we're following all the policies and procedures to the letter, um, making sure that everyone's cap trained. This was several years ago, but I was in a meeting with the bishop at one point, or might not have been with the bishop, might have been with somebody else, but they were saying that there were a couple of deacons who had not yet, not because they were resisting, but had not yet gotten their, um, their at that time it was cap training. And that, and the bishop laid down the law and says, if they are not, if they are not cap trained by this date, I will remove their faculties, their ministering wow. faculties. And they got it together, and they Good. got they got trained, because he was not messing around. Yeah. And uh, none of us mess around with that stuff anymore. Yep. Which, don't get me wrong, you know, I I think for many people this is a depressing topic because it's something we don't want to deal with anymore. I assure you, for Rod and I, it's uh, we deal with it more than pretty much anybody else. In addition, to, aside from the victims assistant coordinator, which we did not talk about very much. 
much. But if you call the 1-800 number for uh, to report uh, sex abuse, child sex abuse in the diocese, the person you will be connected with is the victim. Uh, uh, Victims Assistance Coordinator. Thank you, VAC. And um, she is a fantastic woman who does great work in the diocese and uh, is wonderful. And her predecessor was great as well. And uh, they will be able to help you in really wonderful ways if you've been a, if you are a victim or a survivor. But unfortunately, we got to tie this up. This is one of our uh, episodes. We got to we got to close it up. We're we're thirty seconds away. It's a hard from going thing over. to talk about, Rod. I don't know how you do with this every every day, but uh, you deal with some sensitive issues. And thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Because he's a wise and wonderful person. He but sure I promise is. I'll try not to make it three years before we invite you back. Okay. okay. <laughs> do we right. move me tomorrow? <laughs> well, Saturday tomorrow, okay. so probably not. Okay, no. <laughs> Maybe soon. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, have a great day.